welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. This is your host, Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach, and I'm the founder of PCOS Diva. And I was diagnosed with PCOS, gosh, 15 years ago now. And back then, we didn't have a lot of resources online to kind of educate ourselves about PCOS. So I went to the bookstore and found two really fantastic books, um, PCOS, The Hidden Epidemic by Dr. Samuel Thatcher and The Patient's Guide to PCOS by Dr. Walter Futterwhite. And then, gosh, so that was like 15 years ago. And those two books really helped me educate and empower myself so that I could advocate for myself at the doctor's office. And I'm really pleased to have on our show today I, I really think of her as sort of the next generation of PCOS educators because she is coming out with a fantastic book. I'm one of the lucky ones that got a preview copy, um, and her book is going to really help to empower you so that you can educate and, and advocate for yourself at the doctor's office. So welcome, Dr. Fiona McCullough. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Amy. I really am so thankful just to be on this podcast. And, you know, I know we've known each other for a little while. And, uh, you know, you've always been such a great supporter of my work. So uh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, gosh, thank you for being here. And um, I'm going to just give our listeners a little overview. And if you want to read um, Dr. Fiona's full bio, it'll be at the bottom of this podcast. But she is the founder and owner of White Lotus Integrative Medicine. It's one of the longest established integrative medicine clinics in Toronto, Canada. Fiona has worked with thousands of people seeking better health over the past 16 years of her practice. And her first book, like I mentioned, it's called Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS, and it's going to be published on September 21st, so not very far away. And it's um, perfect timing because September is PCOS Awareness Month. And Dr. Fiona also has PCOS, and she understands the struggle. She struggled for many years with irregular cycles, cystic acne, metabolic issues, and she's very passionate about health education and advocacy for women with PCOS. She serves on the Medical Advisory Committee of the PCOS Awareness Association, and she's also a medical advisor to the Open Source Health Precision Medicine PCOS Project, which we actually did a podcast about that with um, Sonia Savayet, and you can check that one out. It's really interesting. So this project, and maybe you could talk a little bit more about it, Fiona, but um, it integrates genetic and molecular testing, evidence-based integrative medicine, and cloud-based technology to help the growing community of women with PCOS. So um, you have lots, lots of good stuff going on. Yeah, it's a really exciting time right now. Yeah, and... Um that project, um, the Open Source Health PCOS project, is one of the most exciting things um, I think that could help so many women with PCOS because it's basically a cloud-based technology um, platform that allow, uh, that that's basically gathering a lot of data on women with PCOS and their responses to different interventions with respect to supplements, um, dietary changes, and exercise and so it has the potential to actually, you know, um, change the way that we treat PCOS on a very large scale. 
Yeah, and that that individual medicine, um, I think, is just such a great approach because, you know, as and we could talk about this, you know, that not that everyone experiences PCOS the same way, and there really is no one size fits all approach. So this is just a great way to sort of collect data on, um, you know, the, sort of the different types of PCOS and and how different treatment plans might work for those different groups. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's it's such a variable condition. There's just so many different ways it can it can express in different women and there's different treatments that work well for certain aspects of the condition. So this really allows you to um or us to really see, you know, um and understand each woman's unique physiology and how she'll and you know, just understand which treatments would suit her best. So let's um, step back a little bit to talk a little about the inspiration for your book. I know you, know, you are a woman woman with PCOS. You've worked 16 years in a, a practice. I'm sure treating lots of women with hormonal disorders. So um, what what inspired you to write the book, and um, you know why now? Well. Um Definitely my own experience with having PCOS. I mean, I had it for so long, and I had no idea that this was what I had and this was what was causing a lot of my issues. And, um, you know, I just felt really, as I felt very interested in learning more about the condition. And um, I'm really, really fascinated with, um, in particular, hormones. Um, I've always been very interested in, in the hormonal system and um, the metabolic system and the brain and all of these um, are so important when you're looking at PCOS because it truly is a condition that affects the whole body. So I just became really interested in understanding more about it. And um, so I, I love research. And so as I'm researching, I would write a lot of articles on it. And I discovered uh, I, I love writing. So um, and it's so interesting as a child, I found I was going through some of my um, things as I was moving house and I found this uh, paper that I wrote when I was a little girl and I said on there that I wanted to be an author and that I was uh, going to, to write a book and I was going to uh, live in a white house. And it was so interesting because I found that piece of paper as I was moving into my new house, which is white, and my book was coming out and it was just so cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I've always kind of wanted to write a book and uh, I just love writing. So, um, I guess um, I just started writing it one one day. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to write this book. So, um, yeah, so I started writing it, and um, it took a while, but uh, it's finally finally uh, finished. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I might like to write more books, actually. I really enjoyed the whole process. I, I love that story. And, and, you know, working with women with PCOS, I find that, those who are suffering the most don't have a creative outlet, and I find that women with PCOS are highly creative, and they need to mm-hmm. express that creativity. So, you know, it, writing is just a fantastic outlet for that, um, and it's. And I often find that you have to kind of get back to what you enjoy doing as a child, and so I love that you kind of made that connection. Um, and so I really encourage women listening, you know, think back to what you liked doing as a kid, and maybe you need to tap into that a little bit more. But um, so, oh, yeah. um, you know, I wanted to 
well, I guess go over your eight steps. So the title of the book is Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS. I know we we won't have time to talk about them all on the podcast, but maybe you could just kind of give a, a overview for listeners. Sure, absolutely. So basically what I learned through practice and also, you know, of course through my own self is that women with PCOS are very different, each and every one, actually. So the there's just so much variability. And women have, um, there are certain things that work for some that don't work for others. So what I determined is that there are eight different things to look at and to understand if this is a factor for you in your health and in your PCOS and then to address them. So I can go through what those are. And I find that many women with PCOS have, several of these different eight factors that will make a significant impact on their health. But you may not have all of them. So the first one is inflammation, and that is present really in all women with PCOS. So even um, it's actually thought to be one of the central underlying causes of PCOS. So um, that's very important. And um, so in the book, I talk about how to determine uh, if this is a, a key factor in your case or how strong it is. Um, so there's some quizzes in there which can help you understand more about that. The next one is insulin resistance. So this is actually something that we've all heard about. And um, this is present in most women with PCOS um, to some degree. And um, the, but the, the how much it's there really varies from woman to woman. So how much to address that really depends on how much is present. And that relates really to secretion of a lot of insulin for, uh, after eating. Um, and that high amount of insulin actually makes it difficult uh, to lose weight, for one thing, because it blocks fat burning. The other thing it does is it causes us to make testosterone from our ovaries. And it causes inflammation. So the insulin resistance is really important, especially if it's a significant factor in your case. And you can tell if you have that through testing or if you gain weight on your stomach or if you have some of the skin symptoms uh, like acanthosis uh, nigricans, which is like a pigmentation of the skin. So there's, a, um, there's quite a few ways that you can tell if, if this is a factor in your case. The third one is the adrenals. So um, in PCOS, the adrenals are a little different than how we would normally think of adrenal health. Um, you may have heard of adrenal fatigue, and this is really related to stress. But in PCOS, the adrenals um, in many women actually can secrete androgens. And this actually really exacerbates the, the entire condition, but it's completely different from the insulin resistance aspect. So it has to be addressed sort of separately. And stress does play a role in this, too. So I can talk more about that, but I find that's a very interesting topic. I actually have this myself, and so um, it was really interesting to me when, um, when I learned about that. Um, the next one is the androgens. So androgens are present in most women with PCOS to some degree, and the testing for androgens is, is not very good, actually, um, because the, um, it really depends on which type of assay they're doing when they're looking at testosterone. It also depends on the age of the woman. So, you know, a lot of women um, with PCOS, they'll run their testosterone levels and they'll look normal. And there's different reasons for that, but they can still have high androgens. And that presents with the symptoms of acne and hirsutism and hair loss. Um, the next one is the, horm the female hormonal imbalances. So some women actually... Um, don't have a lot of issues with their ovulatory patterns 
whereas others do. And there are connections with the pituitary hormones and the way that, that um, the, the, um, those communicate with the ovary. So the way that the brain and the ovary communicate with each other. That's a factor that's present in many, many women. So you'll see that that um, expresses with high LH levels or delays in ovulation. So that's a factor that, you know, some women are ovulatory who have PCOS, but many women are not or ovulate very late. The next one is thyroid. So I included this because it's so common in women with PCOS and it's such a huge blocker to improvement. So if you have a thyroid condition and you have PCOS, there's only so far you can get until you really treat that thyroid condition. So there's an increase in Hashimoto's. So although it's not part of PCOS to have a thyroid condition, it's just such a blocker and it's so common that I included it as a step to definitely look at and understand if that affects you. The next one is the environment. I think we may have heard a lot about this. Um, the toxicity uh, of different kinds of plastics and pesticides in our environment has been linked to PCOS. So, uh, you know, it's, it's actually been found that, you know, an exposure while to a, a female uh, fetus in the womb to bisphenol A can actually induce PCOS for two future generations. So it's quite uh, certainly an aggravating factor in the, the um, in PCOS, but also in us passing it on to future generations. Um, and so, and then the next one is really relates to everything, and, and it's really uh, one of the most important factors. Um, it's it's diet. So, diet is the single best way that you can improve your PCOS. So, um, you know, everything else. Um, is secondary to diet changes. So th this can actually transform your entire life and your hormones um, entirely. So I have a whole section just on diet. It's a very specific kind of diet, um, and I can talk more about that, but it's related to um, actually specifically reducing insulin secretion or controlling insulin secretion after we eat. You know, I love that you really emphasize the lifestyle change, the diet and the exercise in your book. You know, I think so many women with PCOS are so looking for a magic pill, you know, whether that be a pharmaceutical drug or um, a supplement that's just going to kind of cure their PCOS. But I'm, I'm going to read this from your book. Um, you say, no supplement or medication listed here will ever come close to bringing you the benefits you'll get from making those simple lifestyle changes. And and that was really about changing the foods that you eat and, and exercising. Um, you know, I think, you know, I appreciate that you really hit that message home in your book. I think it's so important. Oh, yeah. I can't, I, I couldn't tell you just the number of women who I've seen make changes to their diet and the, the level of improvement is amazing. And it's just very empowering. It's something you can actually do um, and you can succeed at it. And um, But, there, yeah, there really is no magic pill because it's not really a simple, a simple thing. You know, um, it's a complex condition and it's really a metabolic condition. Yeah, and, and I like also that you, you know, you're not really talking about a diet. When we say diet, it doesn't mean going on this crazy low-carb diet. And I'm just going to read yep. another little excerpt here that I starred several times. 
but you can achieve your personal best health at any size. It's far better to achieve a healthy, natural, and stable weight based on a foundation of good nutrition than it is to swing back and forth between high and low weights. Putting women through diets that ultimately do more harm than good cause more weight gain. In the end, it just doesn't make sense. In addition to all this, dieting can trigger binging and other eating disorders, which women with PCOS are already prone to. They also cause you to ignore your natural hunger and fullness cues, which, um, gosh, I I think that's so important. Uh, But when you are trying to cultivate good responses between the brain and metabolic hormones, restrictive dieting only takes us farther away from our ultimate goals. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just feel that so strongly. Um, and most women I see with PCOS have tried so many diets. And in the end, they don't work. Like, this is, this is, we all know that. Like, none of these diets work at all for most people. Most people just gain their weight back and then you feel bad because you, you know, you didn't succeed or, you know, this and that, right? But it's really just about, um, and I love how you always talk about self-care, but it's, it's, it's just like that. It's like learning about how food affects your body, what it actually does to our hormones, and we do need to eat it differently than women without PCOS, but, also looking at food as nourishment and caring for ourselves rather than, you know, hurting ourselves with restricting and, uh, you know, punishing ourselves when we don't, we're not perfect. So um, the food plan I have here is really, um, it's, it's, it's one plan that can work, but there are many different healthy ways to eat that can work for PCOS. It's not the only way, but this is a very kind of forgiving, um, moderate kind of eating plan, but it's really aimed at addressing the, the insulin secretion very specifically. So, um, yeah, so that's really, the. but you can't fail at it. It's not a diet, really. It's just nutrition. Mm. Yeah, and, and for women with, for with PCOS, this is a, a lifestyle that we have to sustain over our lifespan. It isn't something that we just kind of go on in order to get pregnant because, PCOS doesn't go away after our reproductive years, and I think that's an important message. And I just wanted to say one more thing here is that if you have a doctor that's telling you, and I hear this from women all the time, you need to go on the um, HCG diet and consume 500 calories a day or, you know, these really crazy calorically restrictive diets or no Mm -hmm. carb type diets, you need yeah. to push back <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, read, read Dr. Fiona's book and she talks about how that messes with your metabolic hormones um, and, you know, push back and find another doctor that has a, a different approach. Yeah, I agree. Like those, those really low uh, calorie diets, I mean, all the research just shows our, it, it causes something um, where our metabolism actually slows down because we, our brain thinks we're starving to death. And this is actually the problem that we already have in PCOS. Mm-hmm. So um, these, this brain, you know, hormone connection, metabolic connection with the brain and the fat is actually one of the underlying primary causes of PCOS. So we're sort of, when we're doing those really restrictive diets, we're kind of damaging that even more. And so we really just want to learn to, like, nourish our body. And and most women, actually, who have a lot of metabolic issues don't really feel those normal patterns of hunger and fullness. And that's um, what we want to really get back, and that's a sign that we're getting better with that connection. Mm 
Yeah, and I think another thing to point out, too, that it isn't really, uh, you can't think of it as a matter of willpower because when you're not um, getting those satiety cues, um, mm-hmm. And your insulin kind of out of control. And I remember thinking to myself at, at one point that, you know, I'm such a smart, successful woman, but why can I not control the food that I put in my mouth and eat? Um, yeah. But once you yeah. can realize the underlying issues, and your book does a great job explaining that, that it, you kind of have these aha moments, it starts to make sense, and you don't feel so bad about you that it, it's not it's not a willpower issue. No, it's not. It's actually a lot harder to lose weight if you have PCOS, and it's a lot harder to, um, like, because in our society we, you know, grow up eating certain foods that in particular are, are, are going to cause those problems for us a lot more than for other people because in, with PCOS we're metabolic conservers. We're really good at storing fat, so that's that's a benefit in times, you know, where there's famine, but you know, when we're eating foods that spike our insulin a lot, then, you know, we, we're really good at storing all of that as fat, and that just actually sets off all these patterns. So if if you go to a doctor and they're like, well, you know, you just need to lose, like, 30 pounds, you know, but that's not easy to do, and it's, it's certainly much harder when you have PCOS because once you've gained the weight, it just gets harder and harder to lose it. So um, get the real solution there is is really just to understand more about the actual kind of metrics of food and how they stimulate insulin release and how to find the right pattern of eating that works for us. And then those kinds of cues start coming back and, you know, you start getting those more natural hunger responses and fullness responses. So that, I think, is, is, uh, is really important to understand and, and definitely don't blame yourself. It is really really hard to lose weight when you have PCOS or, and uh, the, the whole nutrition thing is, is challenging. Yeah, I mean, don't shame yourself or don't let doctors shame you. This is so important. Um, oh, yeah. Too much of that going on. Yes. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and you kind of mentioned it um, when you were talking about the adrenal step, is the adrenal andro- androgen excess. Um, and you mentioned you thought that was something that that was kind of what you were dealing with. And after reading your book, it's definitely um, kind of the adrenal androgen issues that that I've experienced in my life. Um, and I think it was it was an aha moment for me. And I think and I hear from a lot of women that I think also have this kind of type of androgen excess. So could you go into a little bit more detail about what that is and and how you um, can kind of figure out whether that is something that you're dealing with and then what what can you do about it? Oh, absolutely. So I can sort of start with a little background on what what happens with our adrenals um, as we develop. So the adrenals and the ovaries develop from similar tissues when we're fetuses. So they do have commonalities with some of these hormones, especially androgens, which... um, So as we develop and we go through puberty, our adrenal glands kick in before our ovaries. And the reason they do that is to make us insulin resistant, actually, so that we can gain weight and reproduce. So this is a normal thing, and all teen girls go through this. And that's why teens, you know, when when they tend to, to gain, you know, a good amount of weight around their tummy at that age before they go through puberty and get their first period. 
Um, but part of what happens there, too, is that the androgens also turn on the adrenals at the same time. And so, you know, you'll see a lot of teens have acne, and, you know, a lot of this is actually coming from the androgens. So when we're teenagers, our adrenals are extremely, uh, they, they uh, secrete a lot of androgens, more than any other time in our life. And all teenagers have this. So as we get older, the adrenals uh, secrete less and less and less with age and there's one androgen that we see that decreases with age which is called it's called DHEAF so you can actually test for that so it should be quite high when we're young and then it should be quite low when we're older so by the time you're 40 45 your DHEAF should be pretty low so um, but what should happen then when you first get your your period is that estrogen starts taking over and it overpowers the testosterone that's coming from the adrenals and then, you know, um, this is when the cycles can start. But, you know, this DHEAS, some women secrete a lot more and it can, it actually turns into testosterone and it can interfere with ovulation and delay ovulation. Um, and so this actually is a, almost a different kind of PCOS, but actually it coexists with all the other factors in many women. So some women only have this coming from their adrenals, but most women have that plus some of the ovarian androgens and the insulin resistance and all of these other factors as well. So it's quite individual, but it's very, very interesting. So the way to test for it is really to check this DHEAS level. However, it really depends on your age. So if you check that, um, when you're 35 or 40, it's going to be within that normal reference range. So you really want to look at what's typical for your age. So I do have some info in the book there, uh, about that, but um, you really need to look at that. So, you know, what could be a very, you know, normal number for somebody who's, you know, 19 years old would, uh, sorry, who's, yeah, who's 19 um, would be very uh, high at a different age. So, it really depends, you know, um, on your age. So, for example, if I, at, at 40 years old, if you had a DHEAS level of 8, that's pretty unusual, you know, whereas that would be very common to see in somebody who's 22 years old. So, um, that's where I think a lot of the, the misdiagnosis or the missed, um, the missed adrenal PCOS happens because women who have this stress triggers the secretion of DHEAS. So if stress is a really big issue, it actually really aggravates women who have this much more than the other types of PCOS. So, I mean, it aggravates all of us for sure, but for the adrenal types, it aggravates them so much and it causes them, and you'll see that their DHEAS goes up and down all the time, whereas for other women, it doesn't do that. It just sort of decreases with age. So what what are some of your favorite ways to reduce stress? If, you know, those of us, I mean, all women with PCOS need to reduce stress, but especially those of us with the adrenal issues. Oh, there's so many ways. My personal favorites um, are meditation. I've um, meditated for a really long time since I was, uh, I started about at age 16, and I did a lot of different types of meditation throughout my life. So I find for me that's a very grounding way of relaxing and it's something that I can do anywhere, anytime and um, I love it. And there's so many ways that you can do that now. There's uh, lots and lots of online courses that you can get, uh, visualizations. Um, there's the Muse, which we're actually using in the 
um, precision medicine project. It's actually uh, it's interesting. It's a device you can you uh, place on your head, and it it actually monitors your brain waves. And it has an app, and it helps you learn how to get your mind relaxed, which is really, really interesting. Um, so there's these kinds of technologies you can use now to help relax. There's, you know, yoga. Um, there's prayer. Um, anything that you know. There's just so many different ways that you can you can relax. Um, the other thing is, I, I know we talked about this, but creativity is so important. Um, I think that's very healing for for us um, with our stress. So finding your own creative outlet, what you really love to do, spending some time nurturing that aspect of yourself and really like finding that joy in, you know, mm-hmm. making something. Yeah, I, and I haven't tried Muse yet, but um, I have Aspire. Have you heard of that? S-P-I-R-E? And no, I haven't. It it, it um, monitors your breath and you have an... Um, an app with your phone. So if your breathing is like short and shallow, um, it kind of senses that you might be stressed and sort of reminds you to take some deep breaths. So that has helped me. And I also um, recently did the Ziva um, meditation, Z-I-V-A meditation.com course. And um, I've I've invited um, Emily Fletcher who runs that. She's going to come on the, the podcast. But she has a nice online course that you know people can check out, and it's not doesn't make um, what, what's her quote? You don't meditate to get good at meditation; you meditate to get good at life. Which yeah, um, you know I love that. That's so beautiful. yeah, we'll de- yeah. definitely check out that Muse app. I'm really curious how that all works. <laughs> yeah, my husband is a techie, so of course he had to get it right away. So um, it's it's. It's really cool. It's it's just to me. It's just so cool that it can measure your brain waves. Um, it's it's really interesting. Um, so one more thing I wanted to because b- before we run out of time here, tell us more about the insulin index kind of counting system that you describe in your book, and it's kind of your dietary approach for women with PCOS. Oh sure. So this to me is is. Super exciting. So I think we all know about the glycemic index, which is basically like how much a certain amount of carbohydrate raises your blood sugar after you eat it. So the researchers who've done most of the work on that um, are at the University of Sydney. So um, they have done so many studies on the glycemic index, and they're just brilliant. Um, They they also recently um, have been developing uh, more information or, or research on something called the insulin index. So in 1997, they did the first study which looked at how much foods actually cause you to secrete insulin. So not glucose, which is the glycemic index, but actually insulin. And so when you have PCOS, your glucose responses aren't really usually the problem. It's actually a condition of hyperinsulinemia, meaning that most women with PCOS, when, you, when we eat, we secrete a lot more insulin than other women. So even if we eat that same food, we'll secrete a lot more insulin. Our insulin stays higher for a lot longer in between our meals and it stays higher at nighttime. And the insulin being high makes it very much difficult to lose weight. So insulin's role that we know, you know, we often think of is that it, when we eat, our blood sugar goes up 
then insulin takes that blood sugar and moves it into the cells to be stored as fat. And it moves them into the liver also to be stored as glycogen. But the, the more important role, one of the most important roles of insulin that we don't think about it is it blocks us from breaking fat, breaking down fat. And the reason it does that is that if we have just eaten, we're not going to be breaking down fat for fuel. So having high insulin all the time basically blocks you from burning fat. So it's a real issue, plus all of the other things that are causes for uh, PCOS, like it makes us make testosterone from our ovaries, which uh, is a big problem also. So this insulin index of food not, it includes more than carbohydrates, so, which is great because the glycemic index only includes carbohydrates. And, but what the researchers found is that for the diabetics, which there is their area of research, that using carbohydrate alone wasn't enough for them to estimate how much insulin they needed to inject. Um, so um, after a meal, and what they found was that certain proteins cause us to release a lot of insulin. And it's actually related to certain amino acids in the proteins, which are called uh, the branch chain amino acids. Um, so these amino acids actually stimulate large amounts of insulin release um, and can be a big problem. And so one of the most interesting things is that dairy contains these amino acids. And this is probably why so many women with PCOS do so much better without dairy. Um, and it's actually, you know, so for example, yogurt um, has a higher insulin index than white, white bread. So if you were to have two pieces of white bread, you would secrete as much insulin um, as you would if you ate a tub, a small tub of yogurt. So that's pretty shocking for a lot of people because we've often been taught, you know, eat, you know, dairy. Um, I, I mean, I know that you and I don't don't follow that, but um, you know, in in conventional nutrition, we're taught that dairy is something you know that's healthy, but it actually causes us to secrete a lot of insulin. And so this system basically, um, it's 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 based on something called the food insulin demand. So the insulin index is how much insulin you'll secrete when you eat 239 calories of this food. So as you can imagine, 239 calories of broccoli is, is so much different than 239 calories of chocolate, right? So um, we want to really know about like quantities. So the food insulin demand it relates to the actual quantity that we consume. And so they've been doing research on this, and they've, uh, they've done some research on type 2 diabetes and found that it's it's much more successful than carbohydrate counting, which is based on the glycemic index. And so my system is based on this um, food insulin demand um, system that's been created at the University of Sydney, but it's really for PCOS. So um, it follows um, a certain structure where you get a certain amount of insulin points from protein, because protein is really good. We don't want to eat you know, low protein because it, uh, protein has a lot of benefits for us as well. It's really satisfying. Um, the amino acids that are in protein are needed for our brain, um, and it's been associated repeatedly with weight loss. So we do want to have a certain amount of protein. And then um, the next part of it is to get a certain number uh, of points from vegetables um, and then from healthy fats. So there's a significant amount of healthy fats. And then there's a, a more uh, specific count of uh, insulin from healthy carbs. So those include things like root vegetables, so like squash, um, sweet potatoes, 
but, you know, it really teaches you about how much to eat and how to structure your plate. Um, and, you know, uh, that I think is really, really important. So just having that, that good meal structure um, really helps us to know that we're going to secrete sort of around this much insulin after we eat. And then the, the next thing I often recommend is don't, uh, don't snack unless you're really hungry. So um, because we're trying to get back those insulin signals and what we want is for in between our meals for the insulin to go down because when the insulin goes down, then we're starting to have a more normal kind of metabolic response to food. Um, but every time that if we eat, you know, frequently, and I know we've all been taught to eat frequently, um, it, it, we do secrete insulin every time that we eat. And this is just my method that does work for a lot of my patients, but they actually start to get hungry again when it's time to eat their next meal, and then they start to feel full. So the snacking is really more about um, it's when you need to, and it's very also very specific types of snacks, so not even carbohydrate alone because that will increase insulin. The other thing is uh, avoiding eating carbohydrate and fat alone together because that causes a lot of insulin release. In fact, it's the, the most powerful combination for secreting insulin. So um, there's, there's very specific sort of structures, and it teaches you sort of about which categories are um, – are, are best to follow and in which proportions to, to structure your meal. Yeah, that's probably why potato chips are my kryptonite. The, the fat and the, the carbohydrate together is just oh really just yeah. a disaster. Oh my gosh, um, yeah. And they, in the study at the University of Sydney, they did a McDonald's fries, like a small one, and uh, again, like fat and carbohydrate and the amount of insulin secreted, it's it's insane, actually. It's really shocking. So it's quite motivating, actually, to avoid those things. Yeah, a really interesting way of looking at um, your diet. And you have all that information in your book because, um, you know, I think it's a, a new approach and it can be somewhat confusing. But I think you've done a really great job in laying that out. So another reason to get the book to try um, – to try that approach. And so you've seen uh, a lot of success in your practice with women with PCOS following this approach? Oh, yeah. Lots of women have uh, been – it's actually a very um, easy approach to follow. Like women find it really simple because it um, it's very flexible. Like you can create your own meals and um, the your, you know, their insulin's going down, like we're measuring it, and it's going down, and it's that's you know so great because it's just the benefits of that are so profound for for overall health. So yeah, we're getting great responses. It's basically it's evolved into sort of almost like a point system that we're using at the clinic, um, but it's really based on insulin. So I hope to write another book with more details about that too. Um, you know, just about the uh, this kind of point system. Um, but there is a good amount of information in this book about about doing that. So uh, tell us a little bit more about um, how women can can get your book. I know um, it's I know it's coming out shortly. Um, you know where can they get a reserved copy? You can tell us how we can get it. Oh yeah, so it's uh, coming out on September 21st, and uh, you can get it. Um, you can advance order it on Amazon, and right now, um, you'll be able to get it in uh, brick and mortar bookstores like Barnes and Noble, um, Walmart. So 
you can, um, if it's if you have a smaller bookstore, you can ask them to order it for you, and they can get it in. Um, it's, it's through all the major distribution channels, so it should be really easy to get, and it's available internationally as well. Is there a Kindle version? Yes, there is. Okay, great. Um, and, and, you know, I really recommend everybody listening to get a copy of Dr. Fiona's book and use it the way that I used books early in my PCOS journey. You know, f- take it with you to the doctor's office, and um, if the doctor doesn't agree with, you know, a, a supplement that you want to take, I mean, flip to the back of her book because she has all the the PubMed studies laid out, and that's the you know that's when you can start speaking the doctor's language. When they see the studies and and the results, um, they're going to be much more receptive to you know working with you on you know making changes that that you want to try. Do you want to speak yeah. to anything anything there, Dr. Fiona? Oh yeah, I agree that you know this book actually has a lot of information, and I tried to make it really thorough. So there might be even too much information for a lot of people in there. And if you you know if you find that that's too much, you can just skip past it. But really, it's meant to be an encyclopedia for you to use um, at different points in your life, and to really use those studies. And I know a lot of the the supplements you have on your website, Amy, are so um, there's so much great evidence for them. So. Um, you can find that in the, the reference section and, yeah, bring it in and talk to your doctor about things in, in the book. Um, there's even, you know, there's sections on menopause and, you know, preventative medicine. So um, all the evidence is there for you. So, yeah, I just encourage you to use it however suits you best. And I know each woman will use it a little bit differently. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your knowledge with us. And, you know, if you... Um, Enjoy Dr. Fiona. Check out. She has a great blog with um, lots of new content coming out. She's also written some guest posts on PCOS Diva, and we've done another podcast together, so you can find that on iTunes as well. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I look forward to being with you again soon. Bye-bye.